This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, my name is Ricky Smith, and I'm the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere, a nonprofit that simply does exactly what it says. Promote kindness everywhere. We know the world is crazy right now. If you are searching for a podcast that has a deeper conversation about race, my co-host Angel Gray and I will be discussing everything going on right now on our podcast, Random Acts of Podcast on Blue Wire Podcast Network. To find out more, go to rakenow.org. Enjoy the show. The Golden Edge Podcast is sponsored by SDN Sports from Station Casinos. SDN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new sign-up bonus of up to $50. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about actual on-ice hockey because the NHL... Began phase two yesterday. We got guys on the ice doing stick handling moves, shooting into nets. It's crazy. It feels like we've jumped forward like way in the future because it's been so long since I was able to see actual hockey images, including hockey images of the Golden Knights doing hockey things. So we're going to talk about that and a lot of other just random tidbits on this edition of the Golden Edge podcast. Before we do that, I want to remind you that we are sponsored by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos, and we are presented by Favor, drinkafavor.com. Also, please check out all our work on reviewjournal.com. We've been really trying to churn out uh, content. I feel like I say this every week, but I am pretty proud of the work we've done throughout these last three months trying to give you guys good stories to chew on despite there not being any hockey played. Also, remember to uh, review this podcast if you can. It helps people find us and subscribe so you can get it every week as we keep bringing you the news. And the news this week, of course, is Phase 2 kicked in yesterday. Uh, We were recording this on Tuesday, so it kicked in Monday in the NHL. For those of you who haven't heard yet, Phase 2 means small group workouts are allowed at team facilities in the NHL, groups no bigger than six. Um, coaches cannot be on the ice during these workouts. Front office people can't be on the ice. They can watch, but they can't actually be on the ice given instruction. So it's just a way to get guys skating again because a lot of players just feel like they need to kind of get their actual hockey legs under them before they you know really get back up into competition mode. And so this is supposed to go on for about three to four weeks until we get to training camp so the knights were one of the teams as i said that opened up their facilities on day one of phase two they had an unknown number of players at city national arena they did say that Derek england mark andre Fleury, nick holden max pacioretty mark stone and paul stasny were among the players who skated could be more in all likelihood i believe we think that there were more because most guys did stay in las vegas during the pandemic 
Other teams that opened their doors yesterday were the Oilers, Islanders, Flyers, and Maple Leafs, with more teams expected to open up uh, throughout the week. Uh, so that's obviously a lot of uh, information to download on uh, the news of yesterday. But Dave, it was kind of uh, interesting and I think exciting for hockey fans to see hockey players, like I said, do hockey things. Yeah, and I know one of the things we got was a video late with you know some snippets of uh, of the action and, and Mark Andre Fleury, Fleury doing a push up after uh, allowing a goal and things like that. Fans, I, our listeners, and everybody just they're thirsting for this. I, I mean, there was so much response to you know just guys kind of kind of cruising around and and stick handling a little bit, taking a few shots. I, I there's just so much appetite. Everybody misses it so much and. It's really obvious. I mean, I guess my biggest takeaway I, I will mention, though, from all of that is it's voluntary and Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, two players who were injured uh, when the NHL season went on par on March 12th, were among the six out there on the first day. So a good sign for their health, a good sign that that they would be you know, ready to go and in, in pointing in the right direction as far as their health goes. Yeah, totally. So as Dave mentioned, it's all voluntary. So the Knights, that's why we don't have the full list of the guys who showed up for the Golden Knights because it's voluntary. So they don't necessarily have to disclose all that. With that, we should also mention that, of course, because it's uh, voluntary and, of course, we're still in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, City National Arena is closed to the public and to the media. So if you're listening to this in all excited and think you can run back to City National Arena. Unfortunately, you can't. Um, it's on lockdown still to try to protect these players as much as possible and keep them healthy. But that being said, this was a step in the right direction for the NHL. It's the first uh, step they've really taken towards getting kind of closer to play since the league did shut down in mid-March. So it's, you know, it's a baby step, Adam, but it is a step. Yeah, and I think that's kind of why people are are so excited. I mean, there's just as Dave was saying, so much so much thirst for just anything to happen out there. Of you know, you know, you're not gonna have games for a while, and this phase is gonna last you know at least you know three to four weeks, maybe even five weeks. So you know, it, hockey is down the road, but at least it's like, oh wait, they're actually on the ice. They're actually doing things, as you said, hockey things. Like this is this is the first step, and so I think. Um, the the reason that people are getting so excited is because it, it's actually, you know, all the talk about maybe it could happen, maybe they could come back, you know, at some point it's going to happen. Now it's, okay, they're on the ice. They're taking that first step toward coming back. And you, you can kind of understand why people are so excited about it and why, you know, there's so much of a thirst for, oh, I can actually see these guys participating in hockey activities together. Like that's a that's a fun first step. So I think that's uh, that's kind of driving the excitement here. Yeah, totally. So we've got clips up at ReviewJournal.com if people want to check them out. Like, I mean, Dave kind of mentioned there's some fun stuff like Marc-Andre Fleury doing push-ups. For the most part, it's honestly not that exciting, except for me watching it yesterday. It was hockey, so I kind of like felt weird watching it because it just had been so long. And just that in and of itself was, uh, you know, a lift for me. That being said, as I kind of uh, talked to Adam about it's a very, very tiny baby step. There are still a lot of protocols that the league has to go through to get from where we are right now to actually playing games. So 
Phase three training camps won't take place until I believe July 10th at the earliest. So we're looking at about at least a month, if not longer, for this kind of small group workout phase. And then beyond training camps, which uh, are expected to be about three weeks, that's not official yet either. Then phase four will happen, which are the actual games in hub cities. We've discussed the format for that in previous episodes, and we're actually going to discuss kind of some more news about the format in just a second here. Um, but yeah, then phase four, those games in the hub cities. Hub cities also still need to be selected. And Dave actually had a great piece on this over the weekend. If people want to kind of check out his thoughts on all the team or all the cities that are under consideration. Uh, but the big hurdle still left before the, you know, page can flip to phase three and then phase four is the health and safety guidelines for each of them. So what the players are going through right now in phase two, these small group workouts, it was 21 pages of guidelines that the NHL and the NHLPA had to hash out between them just for this step where just six guys at a time are on the ice together. So you would imagine as you move to phase three, and we're talking about potentially up to like 30 guys on the ice at a single time for training camps, that's going to be a lot bigger and then when you double that and consider that it's going to be, you know, like 40 some guys on the ice at a time uh, in actual games in, you know, hub cities trying to live in a protective bubble, uh, that's going to be even longer. So there's still obviously a lot to hash out here, right, Dave? Yeah, and I think that's why the NHL is kind of waited on making any sort of announcement on you know where it's going there there's so much that i'll use the the hockey term is fluid everybody loves to use that word fluid um around the nhl and just everything changes and and we've seen you know different things last week just in terms of dallas with with the coronavirus they saw a big spike um in their cases i, I was just reading on the rj today that we saw a spike here in nevada um, with cases. So everything can kind of change in, in the next couple months, or uh, excuse me, in the next couple weeks as, as all of this sort of plays out. And the NHL's, you know, really in no rush to kind of name, you know, where it's going to be right now. I mean, the other side of it too is is really the the Canadian border situation. And, and as long as there's a 14-day quarantine, you know, with Canada and getting across the border and, and all of the issues with that, you know, they, they kind of have to see where things are and, and how that would fit in with potential bids with like Edmonton, Toronto, Vancouver. So there's, there's still so much to figure out. And, and like you mentioned with the, the health and safety stuff, you know, we talked about this last week, it, everything's encouraging, everything's going in the right direction. And I think the NHL needs to be applauded in, in, in a lot of ways for, you know, getting folks back, having that, like you said, 21 page mem- memo, Ben, that lays out all these, you know, particular guidelines f- for all of this. You know, the NHL or the NBA is kind of slowly coming back. We'll see where the NFL is at, and and baseball has obviously got, you know, kind of its own thing that it's dealing with. But but right now, the NHL is is, you know, using that 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 term that you used earlier, baby steps. It's it's slowly moving forward, and 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 I do think, you know, Gary Bettman and in the league office and and all of the teams and and players and NHLPA. At least for right now, should be applauded for that. Yeah. So as Dave kind of hinted at there, the next step will definitely be probably announcing those two hub cities where games will take place at. Kind of expect that in the next couple of weeks. But what uh, is definitely going to you know complicate things, or what you know is definitely going to make 
the NHL wait a little bit is just to see uh, where the spikes are going to be. Because as Dave mentioned, obviously here, uh, casinos reopened. And not only did casinos reopen, but they reopened while a bunch of people were protesting in the streets. And that, of course, is not a unique to Las Vegas thing. That's everywhere. And even, of course, uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul, kind of the, you know, spark of protests, not just nationwide, but worldwide, is under consideration to be a hub city, too. So you would anticipate that there's probably going to be a spike there within the next couple of weeks, too. So the NHL is kind of going to lie in the weeds, one would assume. Wait to see what new hotspots appear with COVID-19 and then, you know, take that all into consideration uh, when they're making their decisions. But speaking of decisions that the NHL made, let's talk about how the playoff format has come into a little bit more focus in the past week. Uh, we learned a little bit more of how Phase 4, this kind of big playoff tournament, or postseason tournament, I guess, because the playoffs are only the final 16 teams, because that's a technicality that the NHL is working through. Uh, we learned a little bit more how that's going to work. Uh, it's going to be reseeded after every single round, which is, of course, different. Normally, it's a very fixed bracket in the NHL. And that just makes sense because, of course, the Knights are one of four teams in the Western Conference, and there are four more teams in the Eastern Conference with buys from the play-in round, and they're going to play each other to try to improve their seeding. But if the Knights' reward for improving their seeding is to, you know, play an eight or nine seed, and then we have uh, a 12-5 upset, and then all of a sudden the number four seed gets to play the Chicago Blackhawks, well, then what was the whole point of the round robin anyway so i mean adam this just seems to i think make sense for this format i think it makes a ton of sense for for competitive reasons i think there's no question about that i i think you know it seemed like that's the, what the players wanted to do and um it just makes sense as you said like why why do the round robin if the seating isn't really going to end up mattering uh in the next round i do think the nhl it seemed like the league was pushing uh, maybe for the other way that they wanted maybe a bracket format. I I thought uh, it didn't make sense except for one thing. I think you you are going to have a case where there might be more eyes on you than normal, especially more eyes that aren't necessarily hockey fans. Uh, and I think, you know, in a year where there was no uh, NCAA tournament, there's no March Madness, I think a bracket almost makes it easier for people that don't follow along that closely to to follow it and to maybe even participate in some sort of, you know, bracket contest type things and um you know bring in that sort of you know fantasy element to uh the proceedings for the for the average fan that's not a hockey person uh i think could have helped a little bit but not not very much but i think from a competitive standpoint this is what you had to do this is the way it had to be and uh, i think it's good that this is what they ended up settling on yeah normally the nhl kind of does their you know fixed bracket format by division just because one it makes travel usually a lot easier if you're playing someone, you know, geographically close to you in the first couple of rounds. Well, that's obviously out the window now. No one's traveling anywhere. So that's not a consideration. And then two, they like, you know, the fact that that usually promotes rivalries and you see, okay, the Maple Leafs and the Bruins play each other in the first round a couple of years in a row, or the Penguins and the Capitals are always running into each other in the second round, regardless of their, if they're the two best teams in the Eastern Conference or not. But since you seeded teams by conference this year anyway and not by division, like I said, Dave, I'm sure you agreed. This just seems like the no-brainer no approach. 
No, I don't agree, actually. Oh. <laughs> so let's talk about this. Let's brawl. Um, okay, here's what I agree with. I think it should have been reseeded before the quote-unquote playoffs. So do the qualifying round and then do the reseeding, but then from that point forward, it should be a bracket. And, and I talked to Nate Schmidt about this, and you hear players say this, and more importantly, in my opinion, you hear the NHL say this. They have made a big deal about the, keeping the integrity of the playoffs as much as possible. Yes, it's going to be different. And yes, there's nothing, you know, I guess normal about the 2014 format and whatever. But they've also consistently said that the playoffs begin when we get to 16. And they've always used this 16 team format. So for me, okay, reseed it. If the Blues end up the number one seed and there's a 5 12 upset, as, as you described, Ben, then they should get the 12 seed. But going forward, it should be a bracket. And Nate Schmidt said this, and I thought it was great. Like if somebody, if there's a 16 seed that beats a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, they don't automatically go get Duke, who's the number two seed in, the, in that bracket. Like you don't just reseed it. Upsets happen. So for me, yeah, you set the bracket up by reseeding it. And then from that point forward, it should be a bracket. It should be whatever happens, happens. The The advantage in what you're playing for in the qualifying round is is that first reseeding. But from then on, it's the playoffs. And and the NHL playoffs have always been, or at least you know, the last handful of years, it's been divisionally based. But it's a bracket, and I think they should have kept with that. No, that's, that's a good point. It was a little surprising to see that they just went from – Hey, should we reseed or bracket from the start to just like, yeah, reseed the whole thing every single round? So that's certainly going to be different and interesting to watch it play out. Um, the other minor news that came out was that the playoffs are also going to be best of seven, all four rounds. It was already official that the conference finals and the cup final was going to be a best of seven. And the players just said, yup, go ahead and make it best of seven the whole way through. Which makes sense. That's what players are used to, of course, because that's what they've been doing for years now. And best of fives are, of course, uh, very random. And I'm sure we're going to see that even in this qualifying round because we see upsets in best of sevens all the time, including last year where all four division winners got knocked out in the first round. So players deciding that they wanted to do best of sevens makes sense. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots? Bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily Favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Another quick item that we should hit as of this morning, is that uh, there are some movement on NHL awards. Uh, NHL awards ballots are out to writers. Dave, did you receive yours in your inbox? I did, and I feel obligated to uh, stick to the uh, picks that we made early on in the uh, in the pause. <laughs> and even though I've thought about a few of them and want to change at least maybe one of them, I guess I'm kind of uh, married to to the article that we wrote back then. So. Eh. You know, I'll put my ballot in here in the next day or two. So there you go. If everyone wants to know what uh, 
Dave is going to vote for. You can check out that at reviewjournal.com. Uh, I didn't get one. Only like half of the writers do, which is totally fine. But if you want to at least know what I theoretically would vote for, you can look at that article too. Dave and I kind of uh, debated each other. One Knights player we know for sure will be up for an award is uh, Shea Theodore, because as of this morning, it was announced he was nominated by the Pro Writers Hockey Association's Las Vegas chapter uh, for the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy. So for those that don't know, it's a trophy that celebrates perseverance, sportsmanship, the dedication to hockey. Theodore was, of course, the obvious candidate because he obviously was diagnosed with testicular cancer last summer, you know, recovered, came back, had a career year this season. So he's one of 31 nominees right now. One would think he's probably got a, a pretty good shot at being one of the three finalists. I mean, Adam, I'm assuming you were not surprised at all by the news that I think Theodore was won the nomination by a landslide. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a, a fairly obvious choice, and I, I would think that he would have a pretty good chance uh, to at least, you know, at least be a finalist. And um, you know, I, I think he's a uh, a guy who has a great story, obviously, and the way he was able to overcome uh, what he did and not only overcome it, but also just have a fantastic season. And he certainly fits uh, the criteria of, you know, great, great, a great sportsman and uh, sport, great sportsman. I, I think his sportsmanship is, you know, <laughs> incredible. Um, you know, I, I think he fits the, the category for sure. So I, I don't think it's a surprise at all. Yep. So. The timing on all of this is, of course, a little wonky because the NHL awards, while normally held in Las Vegas, are obviously not going to be held in Las Vegas this year. There will probably be a virtual event, but that even hasn't been officially announced yet. But the 31 nominees, one per team, will eventually get whittled down to three finalists, and then one of them will win the award. So the timing on all of that is unclear, but we'll keep you guys updated in terms of what we know. No Knights player, for what it's worth, has never ever been a finalist for this award, but I'm sure a lot of people remember Robin Leonard, who is, of course, now a Golden Knights goaltender, won the award last year when he was with the New York Islanders after detailing um, his struggles with uh, substance abuse and mental health in a first-person essay to The Athletic. He gave a really, really good acceptance speech where he talked about how he was mentally ill, but he was not mentally weak, and I thought that was really powerful. And if uh, you're a Knights fan who hasn't checked out his first-person essay to The Athletic yet, I would recommend it. Uh, it's very strong, and it, I think, helps you understand what Robin Leonard has gone through and what probably a lot of hockey players and just pro athletes in general have gone through but maybe not had the courage to speak out about it, which actually leads us to our kind of last topic, which is a little bit more weighty than the ones we were talking about before, which is how outspoken a lot of players have been in the past, I would say, you know, week to 10 days, especially, which is not something that this sport is used to seeing when, I mean, Leonard wrote that essay last year. It was just really, really shocking to see a player be so open about it because hockey just as a culture is often about, you know, blending in to the team what can you do to make the collective better and not stand out as an individual you know right wrong or indifferent that's kind of how hockey projects itself and i think football in a lot of ways is kind of the same way where you're you know in the nfl you're one of 53 and you're all you know working in concert together 
for the good of the team. Um, but hockey players are starting to speak up about systematic systemic inequality and diversity issues. It's been really surprising in the wake of, of course, George Floyd's murder by a police officer in Minneapolis and all the Black Lives Matter protests that I touched on earlier have happened, you know, nationwide, worldwide. Um, players are saying their piece. And Evander Kane was on ESPN's first take. And then his teammate, Logan Couture, jumped in and kind of support him. And the floodgates have kind of opened from there where you have kind of players from all different teams chiming in on social media and kind of promising to work to address hockey's diversity issues, which, of course, exists. It's a predominantly white sport. Uh, Minnesota native Blake Wheeler, who is, of course, the Winnipeg Jets captain, has kind of, I think, been the most out there in terms of, you know, white players because he had a press conference to basically talk about what was going on kind of near where he grew up and how he felt about it, how he wants to do better. Uh, the NHLPA has already collected, you know, 46 either tweets or statements from players on its website. There's obviously more, but that's just what I saw um, yesterday. Uh, in terms of the Golden Knights, uh, Ryan Reeves, Shea Theodore, Braden McNabb, uh, Alex Tuck, Alec Martinez, Nick Cousins, Zach Whitecloud, Cody Glass, and Nick Hag did Blackout Tuesday last week, which was on Instagram. You know, you put up a... Uh, black screen on social media to kind of signify that you're willing to listen to voices of color and try to educate yourself. Uh, that's really been the only reaction out of the night so far. No sort of no sort of statements or anything like that. And then the other big kind of news that has come out of all of this is a bunch of players of color started an independent organization called the Hockey Diversity Alliance, which has Kane, uh, ex-player Akeem Alou, who, for those of you who don't remember, was allegedly racially abused by ex-Calgary Flames coach Bill Peters, who was then, uh, who he resigned before he could be fired. And for those of you who also haven't checked out Akeem Alou's Players' Tribune essay entitled Hockey is Not for Everyone, that's another really powerful read that I think really affected my perspective on all of this. Um, also on that uh, Hockey Diversity Alliance is Minnesota's Matt Dumba, Detroit's Trevor Daly, Buffalo's Wayne Simmons, uh, Philadelphia's Chris Stewart, and the recently retired Joel Ward. Uh, that was a lot to download. Uh, I know that. But, I mean, basically where I'm trying to get with all this is that this really is different than what we're used to seeing from hockey players on a lot of issues. We're used to hockey players not using their voices as much because I said that's kind of the culture that's been built through the sport. So, uh Weighty question, but I'll start with you, Dave. Do you think this is kind of a a transformational moment for how hockey players operate, or is this just kind of a, a one-time thing? I don't know. I think that's the million-dollar question in all of this, to be quite honest, is how much of it is um, marketing, you know, doing what everybody else is kind of doing and, and feeling obligated to put something on social media as opposed to, you know, actually feeling that way. Um, and if they didn't feel that way before, then acknowledging the change within themselves. Um, I hope it makes a difference, but you know, uh, so I'll, I'll give listeners a, a, a quick insight, like, you know, Ben, you do a script every day and or every week for our for our podcast here. And, you know, I saw that that this was going to be one of the 
one of the topics. And as I said last week, I'm not as comfortable sharing my opinions. I guess I have very I have very strong views on a lot of this, but I'm just not as comfortable making it public. But I didn't want to not say something. And I guess one of the things that that first came to mind with me with all this is the movie Youngblood. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try to attempt something here, and I hope maybe listeners can can hear this. But there's a scene in the movie Youngblood where they're sitting around the bar, and Patrick Swayze's character as they're taking shots makes a comment and I, i'm going to play the clip here and it's very short but here we go thank god there's still a sport for middle-sized white boys so what he says there is thank god there's still a sport for middle-sized white boys and i thought about that movie and i thought about like slap shot and yeah we all laugh at it and and there's a lot of stuff you know in 1977 i think or whenever slap shot came out that you know, was probably more acceptable to laugh at then than than now. And same thing with Youngblood and the mid eighties. But I think it shows kind of the culture and how we got to the point that we're at and what's ingrained, I think, a little bit in in hockey. And it's you know, it's kind of that 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 you don't belong. It's that go play basketball thing that that we heard. I think it was Devonte Smith Pelly a couple of years ago in in Chicago. Um, it's you know, it's all of the it's all of the racism and and things that that has always bothered me, and I've never been able to quite put a label on it. Other, I've I've heard it kind of labeled Boston racism, and I don't know that that's fair to to Boston, but it's a it's a it's that that discipline versus athletic kind of thing. And, and, you know, this, this buildup of, of as, you know, white athletes that we need something of our own. And I just, I can't stand that. It revolts me. And I think until that culture kind of in, in hockey changes until, until, you know, I went to a junior game last year um, to watch Cody glass and he was injured in the game and Jake LeCision was in the game as well. Jake LeCision had a 15-year-old teammate named, I think it was Zach Stringer. And what stood out was at first I was like, oh, he's 15. Wow. But Zach Stringer is also black. And he stands out because of that. And he shouldn't. And Ryan Reeves, you know, when Ryan Reeves first got here, like I think people need to go back and check themselves on a lot of how Ryan Reeves was perceived at the start. Um, maybe portrayed at the start of his career here and things like that. And I think there's a lot of fans in, in this town that probably need to be really honest with why they turned to hockey in the first place. And I heard a lot of people say it's because hockey players didn't make it political. And obviously that was in 2017, but, you know, they kept their mouths shut and they, they didn't speak up and things like that. That was attractive to a lot of fans. and. I just think until that stuff changes, until we realize, you know, that players can speak out and they should speak out, that you know we're going to keep kind of, kind of coming back to this, and that, that's my fear, I guess. No, that's a lot of what you said is really uh, interesting there, Dave. And there's a couple points I want to hit, which is obviously one, as you mentioned up the top. I mean, this is difficult to talk about and i think anyone who knows what the three of us look like 
uh, realize that, especially <laughs> for us, we are definitely by far not qualified to do very deep dives uh, on this topic. But it's just one of those things where, you know, it feels important at this point, especially with all that's happened in the past, you know, two weeks or so to at least acknowledge it and raise it as a point of discussion. And I mean, when you talked about um, the junior game you attended and seeing Stringer, I mean, that reminds me as a youth hockey player in Minnesota. I mean, I think I played against, not with, but just straight up against in my youth hockey career, uh, one African-American player. And I, that's one of the games I really remember as a youth hockey player because, I mean, it stood out because that was different. And that, I think, speaks to a lot of the you know issues that the sport just in general faces is that I grew up in, quote unquote, the state of hockey, yet I played against one African-American player the entire time. And so I think that you know, speaks to a lot of the issues hockey has had in, you know, recruiting diverse people to play the sport and then getting them to fall in love with it and, and stuff like that. But uh, I know, Adam, I think I cut you off there. So whatever you wanted to add, go ahead. No, no, I, I think that was, that was good points to make. I, I just think, you know, we, we think of hockey as such an international sport, an international game uh, that, you know, players come from all over the world and the league is, you know, made up of players from everywhere. But you know, the bottom line is it's obvious to look on the ice and see that as much as there's people from all over the world, they are overwhelmingly white. And I don't think there's any question about that. And and players that do come from a different background uh, have, have spoken over and over again. And especially lately, they've had their voice heard about the experiences that they've had and the, you know, unfortunate experiences that they've had trying to make it, uh, <laughs> see even the even the dog knows oh you're uh, doing so good trying, i mean you know, <laughs> trying to make it as um you know as hockey players that that look different and it and it it sucks that it's been quiet for so long and it, it hasn't been quiet quiet but those voices have just not been heard like they should and i i think you know if if there's a a good that comes out of this uh in the hockey world hopefully it's that those voices are heard and that the, the experience changes for a lot of, you know, players that aren't white. And, you know, you would hope that that would, you know, be the case going forward. But I think as, as Dave started off his point with, like, you just don't know, like you hope that this is not a temporary thing of like, Oh, let's, let's let these voices be heard for, you know, the next few weeks. And then things are back to normal. Like, I hope that's not the case. And I, I think a lot of people hope that's not the case. But, you know, as Dave also pointed out, like, there is just this this accepted culture of, you know, not talking and not speaking out. And, you know, if if this is a case where we go back to that, I, I think that this is a really, a really missed opportunity. I know um, one of the things that the, the NHL was asked about, and one of the NHL officials um, was asked about the relationship that the league has with law enforcement too and how much that could change going forward. And, you know, I, I think that that's going to be a balance that they're going to have to try to find uh, at some point. And I don't know that it's going to be easy uh, for sure. Um, Kim Davis is the NHL's executive vice president of social impact. And uh, she was asked how the league is going to manage that relationship with law enforcement, considering all these other things that are going on. And she said, artfully and carefully. Like, I don't even know what that means, um, but there's a lot of these 
you know, not only relationships, but also a lot of the hockey culture. It's just going to have to be addressed. And whether there's meaningful and significant changes going forward, I think uh, will, you know, will tell us a lot about how much was actually learned and how much was actually just about putting on a good image for a couple of weeks while things were, you know, while the pressure was on the NHL. And, and I hope that that's not the case. I hope there is lasting and significant changes. Yeah, uh, the article that Adam's talking about where Kim Davis spoke uh, was written by Greg Wyshynski of ESPN, I believe, yesterday. Uh, so I encourage people, they want to check that out. That's a much better breakdown of kind of the various ways that hockey kind of has uh, issues when it comes to diversity and the various avenues it could use to address them. Uh, it does a much more thorough job of uh, breaking all that down than just the three of us can do on a podcast here. And once again, I want to uh, encourage someone, if you still have, you know, questions about whether this is necessary or you're, you know, not fully on board with, you know, players being outspoken about all this kind of stuff to uh, check out Akima Lou's Players Tribune essay uh, entitled Hockey is Not for Everyone. Uh, I think it's a really powerful read that, you know, really can just adjust your uh, perspective and hopefully kind of, you know, open, you know, people up to a lot of different conversations that need to be had. Uh, that's all the conversation we're going to have on this right now. Like I said, it's a tough topic, but I think it's one that the hockey community as, you know, a whole is having. So I think we need to uh, have it too. Uh, but just a reminder, make sure to check out all our coverage at ReviewJournal.com. If you like this podcast, review it, uh, subscribe to it. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks to SDN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos for sponsoring us. Thanks to Favor, drinkitfavor.com, for presenting us. For Dave Shane and Adam Hill, I'm Ben Goats. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. If you have loved ones that rely on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. With Policy Genius, you could save 50% or more by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, Policy Genius will compare prices starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to fast track your coverage with a no exam policy. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. If you have any questions, their team of licensed independent experts is on hand to help. In fact, Policy Genius's award-winning service has a five-star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Make today the day you cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. To get covered, head to policygenius.com today.